If you would, be finding in your Bibles Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, we're going to be looking at 11 verses tonight, beginning at verse number 1. And when you find that, you can stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read Romans chapter 5, verse 1 down to 11. If you got it, say amen. 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 I got, I got one really enthusiastic one. I like it. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And this is what it says. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. What a passage of scripture. The title of the message tonight is The Believer's Benefits. The Believer's Benefits. You may be seated. Now, in the previous chapters of Romans, Paul is making the case and showing that the whole world is sinful, uh, that the whole entirety of mankind is guilty in the sight of God. In the third chapter of Romans, it talks about that there is none righteous, no, not one. We also see that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And such is the condition of every person that comes into this world. Every person born uh, uh, into this world is born with that sin nature. But the wonderful thing is that awful price of sin has already been paid for at the cross of Calvary. I love it that we are on this side of the cross, don't you? The awful cost of sin has already been paid for at Calvary. Now, in the passage before us, we, there are several things that he mentions, but these are benefits of the believer. The believer in Christ has benefits. These are benefits of the believer. We see the benefits of one who's been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the standard, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It talks about how we have peace with God. We have access to God. We have hope. We can glory in tribulation. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. The Holy Ghost is living inside of us. We will be saved from wrath, and we have the joy of God 
in Jesus Christ. We have joy in God through Jesus Christ. So tonight, if you're taking notes, you can, you can make eight little points because we're gonna be talking about eight benefits of the child of God found in this passage of scripture. Now, I'm reminded in the book of Psalms in chapter 68, verse 19, this is what it says. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with what? benefits, even the God of our salvation, see law, or think about that. Psalm 103, verse 2, says this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. It's a wonderful thing to be a child of God because with being a child of God, there are benefits that come along with that. Now, with that being said, let me say this. Everything hinges on the new birth. All of these benefits that we just read about hinges on whether or not a person has been born again. That's what it all hinges on. So until you are born again, you cannot experience the benefits of a child of God. Do you follow me? There's, that's a turning point in your life. Until then, you cannot experience. But once you come to Jesus, Jesus Christ, there are blessings, there are joys, there are wonderful things for the child of God. So verse one of this chapter starts out by saying, therefore being justified by faith. Now Paul makes the case that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, he starts out this fifth chapter, says, Therefore, being justified, or since you are justified, since you have been born again, and then he begins to go into the different things that apply to the believer. And this act of justification speaks of, it speaks of one act of faith, the moment that we trust Christ. What it is, is justification is a one-time legal decree in which God declares a repentant sinner righteous. That's what justification is. So I want you to understand that right at the start. It's not on the merits of the sinner, but it's simply based on the grace of God. It's based on what God has done. It's based on the grace of God through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how you come to Christ, is when you trust in that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's called the gospel. The moment that you believe the gospel, Jesus Christ comes to live inside. We have that Holy Spirit living in us. So what's amazing about that is on the cross, our sins were imputed, laid on Jesus. And through his death and resurrection, he is able to impute his righteousness to us. So God sees us in Jesus as righteous like Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? That's what this, uh, this uh, is talking about when it talks about justification. Let me say it in another way. Imagine a courtroom, and uh, you're in the courtroom, and, and you're guilty before the judge. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The law has condemned you. The accuser has accused you, and you are, in fact, guilty as charged. But then comes Jesus, our advocate, the one that we're trusting in. And he goes up, and you know, uh, our advocate also happens to be related to the judge. I, I heard somebody else say that the other day. I just love it. Our, our advocate happens to be related to the judge. 
And he goes, Father, all of these sins, all of these laws that have been broken have already been paid for by me at the cross of Calvary. And so Jesus points to the wounds in his hands and his feet and his side, to the work that he did at Calvary. And he says, all of these have already been paid for. And so the moment that God sees that, he accepts the blood of Jesus as payment for those sins. And the gavel comes down and God says, not guilty. And we are declared justified. And the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. That's what it means to be justified. That's what it means that Jesus has come and pled our case and said, all of your debts have already been paid for. I love that. That is a wonderful thing. So that brings us in to our first uh, benefit of a believer. The first benefit for the believer is that we have the benefit of peace with God. That's found in verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I love that. See, the wrath of God has already been eternally satisfied on Calvary for us. It's already been dealt with. The wrath of God has already been taken by Jesus. The thing is, before we were born again, we were enemies with God. The Bible says that we were aliens. We were enemies with God. We were essentially at war with God in our wicked works. We were fighting in, against God. But the wonderful thing is, is that Jesus came and he made peace for us. Jesus Christ is the peacemaker. How many know that Jesus is the peacemaker? The Bible calls him the prince of of peace and that's our savior so while we were still yet enemies of God you know the opposite of peace is war I think uh, if I asked anybody that would be the first thing that comes to mind if I said what is the opposite of peace you would say war well while we're at war with God the prince of peace comes and makes peace for us with God now let me say this peace had to be made Peace had to be made. It would not come naturally. In our condition, peace was not going to come naturally. It had to be made. In war, peace is not going to come until a superior force defeats the opposition and the opposing party unconditionally surrenders. That's, what ha that's how peace comes. And I love it that Jesus has already defeated all of our enemies at the cross, and all he wants us to do is come and unconditionally surrender to him. That's all he wants us to do. So peace had to be made, and Jesus made peace for us. Jesus made peace with God for us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20 says this, and in speaking of Jesus, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. But don't miss that first statement. Peace, it says, having made peace through the blood of his cross. That's how peace was made. The means by which peace was made was the cross. Now watch this. The instrument of peace was the cross. 
How is Jesus going to bring peace? He's going to do it with the instrument of the cross, that emblem of suffering and shame. That's how the peace is going to come. The way God chose to defeat our enemies and to bring peace was brought by the death of his son on the cross. So the cross is the instrument of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. The cross is the instrument of peace. Now let's look at the means. How is peace uh, brought to us? The means by which it is accomplished was his blood. That's how peace uh, is brought to us. So you think about it, in war there is bloodshed, right? In war there is fighting. And man was warring against God, opposing God. We were warring against him in our unrighteousness, in our wickedness of mind. We were sinning against the holiness and justice of God. So there was a war that goes on, and the Bible says, the soul that sinneth shall die. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So what had to happen is blood had to be shed. And so rather than our blood being shed, Jesus said, I'll shed mine. Be put, because blood was required. So peace had to be made. Blood was required. And so what happens? God sends his son in our place to die on the cross, the instrument of peace. And Jesus took our punishment and our death on the cross. His blood was shed so that we could live and peace was made through the blood of the cross. Beautiful, beautiful. That's what happened in Egypt when they got ready to come up out of Egypt in bondage. And, and God said, you take the blood of the lamb and you apply it to the doorpost. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The firstborn wouldn't die in that house because the blood was applied. What was happening was the blood brought peace with God so that the wrath would pass on by. You see how that works? So the peace comes through the blood of the lamb. Now, not only that, I want you to notice the second benefit the believer has. Benefit number two, the, the believer has the benefit of access. The benefit of access. Look at verse two. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. See, God, through faith in Jesus, has given us access to go places we could never go on our own. Through Jesus, we have the ability to go places that we could never go on our own. I heard the story the other day of a, of a DEA agent who went to a farmer's uh, farm, and he showed up and met with the farmer and said, uh, we have reason to believe that you're growing marijuana on this farm. And we'd like to take a look around. And the, and the farmer said, well, that, that's okay. Come, you can look around. You can go anywhere you want except for that shaded area way over there with the tall trees. You can look anywhere you want except over there. You know, this is, this is down in Texas, you know, so that, you know, he's, you can look anywhere you want except over there. And uh, the DEA agent pulls out his badge and says, do you have any idea? Look at this badge. I have the weight of the full federal government behind me. I think I'll just maybe just look around where I, wherever I would like. Farmer says, "Go, okay, I, well, I guess if that's what you're going to do, that's what you're going to do. 
So the first place he goes is the wooded area that's shaded with the tall tree. That's the very first place he goes. And a few minutes later, the farmer hears screams and hollering. And here comes the agent running out of the woods. And there's a 2,000-pound angry bull chasing him ready to gore him. And the agent is saying, do something, do something. And the farmer says, show him your badge, show him your badge. (laughs) Sometimes we think we have access, but find out we don't. Sometimes we think we can go places, but find out we can't. But when we're with Jesus, we can go places that we can never, ever go. And that's a benefit of the believer in Christ. By faith in Jesus, we have access into God's grace. Now, that's a wonderful thing. Grace means unmerited favor. We have access into God's unmerited favor. It's not anything that we could earn. It's not anything that we can gain. It's something that God gives us through faith in Jesus Christ, and he gives us that unmerited favor. So uh, that's a wonderful thing, but not only that, with that unmerited favor, we also have a standing in grace. Did you catch that in the verse? It says in verse 2, we have access by faith, into this grace, that favor of God, wherein we stand. So we have a standing in grace. Now, that word stand means to continue to stand. That means that we're to be established in grace. That means that Jesus gave us a permanent standing in God's favor through the work of the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a good thing because we have this benefit of the favor of God, but not only that, but we have good standing with God. Jesus gave us good standing in God's favor by his work on the cross. I love that. But not only that, Within this standing, we have access to the very throne of God. We have favor with God. We have good standing with God. But not only that, within that standing, see, since we're with Jesus, we can go places that we would never go. And the amazing thing about that is, is when God looks at us being in Christ, being born again, God sees his son, Jesus. That's why we have that standing. That's why we have that favor. When God looks at us, he sees his son. I heard uh, another uh, a story by a pastor named Erwin Lutzer. He was invited to the White House uh, several years ago in Bush Sr.'s uh, administration. And uh, I won't go into the full details of the story. I just want to give you the basics of the point. That secret servant agent or service agent would take him from place to place. He said, meet me out front at the gate of the White House at 10 a.m. And when he did, the guard checks seen him with the agent and just told him, come on in. When he got to the next point, said they looked at him, they looked at the agent, and they said, come on in. All the way up to the Oval Office, the very same thing, standing there with this agent, and the guard looks at him and says, come on in. That's the same thing that happens with Jesus. 
Whenever we have Jesus with us, whenever we're walking with Jesus, whenever we're in good standing and have the favor of God, we can go in any place that we want to go right down to the very throne room of God and, and the angels just have to step aside and say, come on in. Because not because of us, but they see Jesus with us and Jesus in us and they say, come on in, access granted. Hallelujah. That's why it says in Hebrews 4.16 that we can come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can go right on down to the very throne room of God. Are you catching that there are benefits to being a believer in Christ? There are benefits to being a believer. Now, number three, the believer has the benefit of hope. The believer has the benefit of hope. Look again at the last part of verse two. It says that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Samuel Smiles said this, and I love this quote. He says, hope is like the sun, which as we journey towards it, cast the shadow of our burden behind it. I love that because as we're pressing on towards Christ, pressing on towards our heavenly home, as we set our sights on the sun of righteousness, it's like all of our worries and all of our burdens just begin to become shadows behind our back. As we see the glory someday that we're going to behold in heaven, all those burdens and all those things that, that weigh heavily on us, and they soon become shadows behind our back because we're pressing on to that glory that lays ahead of us. Why? Because the believer has hope. The believer has hope. See, there's a distinction to be made. The unbeliever has no hope. The unbeliever has nothing. The Bible says that all their life, they're subject to the bondage of the fear of death. All their life, they're subject to that. The atheists, they, they believe that they came from nothing and they're going nowhere. There's no hope in their life and there's no hope in their death. Their hopelessness brings a state of fear. It brings a state of worry, all sorts of bondage, all sorts of addictions. But Jesus gives us freedom and hope and life. Jesus said, the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The believer has a future full of hope. There's a difference there. The believer has the benefit of hope. In Christ, our future is not clouded by fear and gloom. In Christ, we don't have to live in doubt and despair. We don't have to live in the fear of bondage of death. We don't have to live in that place of addictions and corruptions. We have new life that came from Jesus. We have a future full of brightness and glory reserved in heaven for us. Hallelujah. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again or borne us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Not only does a believer have hope, but we have a lively hope. We have a living hope. The believer can say this, our past salvation secures us, our present standing assures us, and our future glory awaits us. I like that. Right now, we have the blessings in Christ. Right now, we know that we've been saved. We know that we are being saved. And we know that someday we will be saved. And we will be in glory with our Savior. That is a wonderful hope. Hallelujah. Still talking about the benefit of hope. Look at that verse again. It says we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You know that Jesus prayed for us to see his glory? Do you know that Jesus prayed that for his church? Let me read his, a part of that prayer in John 17, verse 24. Listen to this. Don't miss this. He says, Father, I will that they also whom thou has given me. And of course, he's talking about the, the disciples, but he says also those that will believe because of their word. It takes us all in. He says, I will that they also whom thou has given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Now, let me tell you one thing I think we can all agree on. Jesus' prayer will be answered. <laughs> I mean, that's unanimous. If, there, if ever there was a prayer to be answered, it's going to be Jesus' prayer. And Jesus says that someday we're going to be with him and we are going to see his glory. We are going to see our Savior. Jesus prayed that we're going to be where he is and that we, with our eyes, are going to see his glory. That was Jesus' prayer. And it is a hope and it is a lively hope and it is a blessed hope. Titus chapter 2 verse 13 says this, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's our hope. That's what Jesus prayed for and that's what's going to happen. That is the blessed hope. So the, the believer doesn't just have a hope. We've got a living hope. We've got a lively hope. We've got a blessed hope. And more than that, we've got a promise from our Savior that he is going to take us home to be with him. It's not just a hope. It's a promise. Jesus said, if I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be 
also. It is a promise from Jesus Christ. He says, I'm coming back to take my people home. He says, Father, this is what I prayed for. This is what's going to happen. And my people will see that glorious appearing. My people will see my glory. Because one day, Jesus is going to split the clouds. The Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds in the air to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That is our hope. If that doesn't give you hope, I am hopeless in trying to give you hope tonight. That's what Jesus has promised us. What a wonderful hope that is. Number four, the believer has the benefit of glory in tribulation. And you say there's nothing glorious about tribulation or troubles. Well, that's true to an extent. Look at verse three. And not only so, Paul starts that out by saying, and that's not all. (laughs) It's like... Okay, we were shouting a minute ago, but now you're talking about trouble, and you lead it off by saying, and that's not all. There's troubles. But we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Now, some people would like to say that when you come to Jesus, all of your wildest dreams come true. You never have another problem a day in your life. Put Jesus in your pocket. Your milk will never spoil in your refrigerator. Life will be good. But that's simply not the case. Because everyone is going to have troubles. Everyone is going to have pressure and affliction. Everyone is going to face things that are going to be hard to deal with. But the thing about the believer, we have benefits. And we never face these things alone. The believer is never going to face a trouble by himself. In fact, God is going to be working in us during those troubles. Jesus said in John 16, 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I love that in all things, Jesus has gone before us. There'll never be anything that we face that Jesus hasn't already walked there. Even death itself, when we come to those shores someday, we'll find his footprints have already been there. Jesus has already been to the other side and back, and he'll be able to take us right on through. Whatever, whatever situation we find, Jesus has already been there. And I want you to know this, that God is working in our troubles. God is working in our troubles. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. You might say in tribulation we're working things out. You're working through things. You're dealing with things. You're, You're working things out. And while we're working things out, God is working things in. 
Did you catch that? While we're struggling, while we're fighting, while we're dealing with things, while we're trying to, to handle things, while we're working things out, God is working things in to the believer. It says, tribulation worketh patience. Now that word patience means endurance. So we learn to endure in adversity. We learn to endure under intense pressure. We learn to endure and press on no matter how hard it gets. Christ is with us all along the way. And as we do, God holds us up and God helps us and he gives us strength to carry on and we learn endurance. It's just like a runner that's running and no matter how bad your side hurts. You're going to finish that race until you cross that finish line. You're going to keep pressing on because you're not going to give up. That's endurance. You're running the race and you're not going to give up. You're going to make sure you cross that finish line. And it says patience, experience, or endurance leads to experience. We gain experience when we endure. When you work on a project and things don't go well, you gain some experience on how to not do it the next time. When you have trouble doing something, you're gaining experience, but you're learning that next time you come to something like that, what, you're, you're not gonna do it like you did it before because now you have experience of a better way to do that. And when we endure, we gain experience. What happens is we see how God has helped us. We see how he has kept us. We see how he has sustained us. We see that, that as we have that experience, we learn to trust him more in those hardships. We learn to draw nearer to him. We learn to stay close to him in those times. We learn to wait on him. We learn to lean on him because we discover we're powerless to take care of ourselves. And so what happens in those experiences, we draw closer to God. And so endurance experience, and then he says experience hope. Experience leads to hope. When we face that new difficulty, we look back at past experience. Like we were just saying, we remember what we've learned. We see our pains. We see our heartaches. We see our difficulties. We see all these troubles that we face. We see the places that we have been but then we remember it was the hand of God that brought us through and it gives us hope to press on and weather the coming storm. That's how endurance leads to experience and experience to hope because we look back and see where we came from. We look back and see what God has already brought us from and we have hope to see where God is taking us to. See, when you're a believer, you've got these benefits and you can glory, you can have joy in tribulation knowing that God is working in you. That's why Paul said in Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Number five, are you with me? The believer has the benefit of the love of God in our hearts. The love of God in our hearts. Look at verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed. That means trusting, patient trusting and hope in the hope and the grace and the mercy of Jesus is never going to be in vain. It's never going to lead to disappointment. Hope maketh not ashamed 
Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So did you catch that? The love of God is shed abroad or poured into our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now, this love is not our own love. This is the love of God. We love him, why? Because he first loved us. So this love is God's love for us. And when you are born again, something wonderful happened. God poured his love into your heart. For the first time, you experience that overwhelming, overflowing love of God in your heart. And you probably cried a few tears. You probably cried a few tears thinking about the cross and the salvation that God had brought for you. There was an overwhelming love that was happening inside of you because God was pouring his love into your heart. And did you know that love is the mark of a true believer? If you don't have love for your brothers and sisters, if you don't have the love of God abiding in you, then you don't have God abiding in you. That's what it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. That says it, doesn't it? Number six, the believer has the benefit of the indwelling spirit of God. Look again at the last part of verse five. It says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts or poured into our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So we have the benefit of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. It says the Spirit of God is given unto us. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of every believer at the moment of conversion. The moment that you were born again and trust Christ, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, and it is by the Spirit of God that we truly know the love of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says this, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now listen, don't miss this. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So you wonder if a believer has the Spirit of God? Well, it says here, if you don't, you're not a believer. That's what the Bible says. Every believer has that Holy Spirit living inside of them when they come to Christ. And here's a wonderful thing about it. And I read this scripture last week, but I want you to see it again. John 14, verse 16 and 17. When he comes to live in you, he comes to stay. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Comforter. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. That he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But listen, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. That is a benefit of the believer, the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Now, he stops right here in this passage, and he qualifies these things about the believer, and he says, basically he's going to say the believer's benefits were secured by the cross. The next few verses are going to talk about that. And he's talking about the love of God and how it's shed abroad in our heart. And he's going to show how the cross is the demonstration of God's love. 
The cross is a demonstration of God's love. See, the cross made everything possible. That's what he's going to be saying. The cross made everything possible. Without the cross, you don't have peace. Without the cross, you're not going to have access to God. Without the cross, you don't have hope. Without the cross, you don't have triumph in tribulation. There would be no experience of God's love. There would be no indwelling of the Holy Spirit without the cross. Everything was made possible by the cross of Jesus Christ. All the benefits that we enjoy, all these benefits that we've been talking about in this chapter were secured by the cross. Without the cross, all of mankind would be lost. Uh, all, of it, all of mankind would be lost for eternity. There would be no hope. There would be no future. There would be no remedy for sin without the cross. Man would be eternally corrupt without God and without hope. But God did not leave us like that. God sent his son and demonstrated his love for us on the cross of Calvary. Is anybody with me tonight? Hallelujah. <laughs> Now, let me say this. The cross was for all people. Look at verse 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, this may surprise you, but Jesus did, in fact, die for a specific group of people, the ungodly. Jesus died for the ungodly, and since there's none righteous, that means that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Everyone is ungodly. The cross of Jesus Christ was for all people. It says, when we were yet without strength, we were powerless to save ourselves. We were ungodly, vile sinners without hope. But in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world. I love... Uh, when John the Baptist was on the shore of the Jordan and he sees Jesus coming, and what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. What an announcement. Amazing. Now the cross was a work of love and grace. Look at verse 7 and 8. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love or demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, I'll tell you, a number of times I've taken that verse, sharing the gospel with someone. And I always take this verse when I do, Romans 5, 8. I always take this verse. And I say to them, you know, you can put your name in that verse. I've sat down many times with people in this church on a few different occasions. I can recall to my mind even just now where I've sat down and, and taken this verse and said, you can put your name in that verse. And I'll say, watch, I, I say, but God commended his love toward Josh and that while Josh was still yet a sinner, Christ died for Josh. And then I'll look at them and I'll say, you know, perhaps their name's John. I'll say, John, let's put your name in there. But God commended his love toward John and that while John was still yet a sinner, Christ died for John. And you know what? On more than one occasion as I've done that, I've seen tears well up in their eyes. 
and begin to stream down their face. And you know why? It's because the Spirit of God is showing them what the love of God looks like. The Spirit of God is beginning to manifest to them and show them that the cross wasn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago, but it was something that happened for them right there where they were sitting. It was something when God looked ahead in time and said, I am going to die for Josh. I am going to die for John, for Chris, for every person in this room. I am going to die for them. And God sent his son and God demonstrated his love on the cross. John Newton, the writer of the hymn, Amazing Grace. Anybody ever heard of that? He said this. He said in his later years, he said this. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Wow. God loved us at our worst. Isn't that amazing? God loved us at our worst. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the Bible says, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he went beyond that, just as I heard Jerry say one time, he did it not just for his friends, but for his enemies, those that hated him. And that cross was the greatest demonstration of the love of God that this world had ever seen. The cross was God showing mankind that he does care, that he does love us, that he is willing to give his own self. The cross was that and the salvation that Jesus secured in his death, burial, and resurrection is available to all those who will come to him in simple faith. I'm reminded of the hymn that says, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Coming down to the last two. Number seven, the believer has the benefit of being saved from wrath. Saved from wrath. Look at verse nine. Much more than, Paul is saying, it just keeps getting better. Much more than. Being now justified by his blood. We've talked about that. We shall be saved from wrath through him. That's beautiful. See, Jesus already took our wrath at Calvary. The wrath of God. Jesus already took that at Calvary, our punishment. He says much more than. He says it's getting better. And since we've already been justified by the blood of Jesus, we shall be saved from wrath through him. The Bible says over in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it talks about how the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men. But Jesus has already bore the full wrath of God on the cross for us. I like the way John MacArthur said it. He said it like this. Christ bore the full fury of God's wrath in the believing sinner's place, and there is none left for him. Jesus took all of it. There's none left for us. 
None left for us. And not only has he already taken our wrath at Calvary, but we're also going to be saved from the day of wrath. Not just the wrath of sin and death, the punishment of sin, but we're going to be saved from the day of wrath. See, before God brings his judgment and judges this world for unrighteousness and wickedness, before that great tribulation time when God begins to pour out his wrath on this planet, God, Jesus, is going to come back and take his blood-bought church home to be with him. Hallelujah. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 says, For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. The same book, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10 says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The church will be saved from the day of wrath. We're saved from the wrath of God. It's already been paid at Calvary. And we will be saved from the day of wrath in which God comes to judge the world in righteousness. We'll be safe with him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then not only that, but we can have total confidence in this redemption. Look at verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Say much more. Let's say that again. Much more. There you go. Being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, I'm going to wrap this up here real quick. You hear that word reconciled a few times in the message. Let me give you a quick definition. Reconciliation is when two opposing parties come together over common ground by which a barrier is removed and the parties are restored. Let me say that again. Reconciliation is when two opposing parties come together over common ground by which a barrier is removed and the parties are restored. Now watch this, the work of Jesus on the cross, his death in particular, is the only common ground between God and man, whereby the barrier of sin is removed completely and man is totally restored or reconciled to God. And he says in this verse, if God would save us while we were his enemies, much more, Will he do now that we are his children? Now watch this. We were justified by his blood. Remember the courtroom? Not guilty. Reconciled by his death on the cross. And we will be glorified in his resurrection, in his life. Hallelujah. That's what he means by much more. Being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Vernon McGee once said, he died down here to save us. He lives up yonder to keep us saved. (laughs) Last but not least, number eight, the believer has the benefit of enduring joy. Verse 11, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ 
by whom we have now received the atonement. We have joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying right now, you can have joy in Christ, no matter your circumstance, no matter your difficulties, no matter your pain, no matter your suffering, you can have joy that's based on the fact of what Jesus Christ has done for the believer, based on the fact of what he's promised he will do in the future. Right now, every believer has the benefits of the believer that we've been looking at, and we have lots and lots of reasons to rejoice and praise God for all the many wonderful things that he's done for his love and for his mercy and for his grace and for his kindness, for his forgiveness of sin. That's something to praise God about. For the fact that we have the home reserved for us in heaven, we can joy in God no matter the circumstance, no matter the trouble. We can praise God right where we are because we have the believer's benefits. Hallelujah. So what would I say to you, Brother Chris, make your way up this, up here tonight. What would I say to us tonight? Stay close to Jesus. In the meantime, stay close to Jesus. Because, like we said earlier, he can take you places that you can't go on your own. I have one more story And then we'll give an invitation. I was reading about D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist. How many know D.L. Moody? Have heard of him? Uh, The founder of the Moody Church in Chicago. He was doing an evangelistic campaign in in 1892 in Denver. And uh, there was a young man who came uh, to the meeting. He was excited to get to hear D.L. Moody. And when he got there to the, the location, he found that the crowds were already outside, and he found himself waiting outside trying to figure out how he was going to get to hear D.L. Moody. And he really wanted in, and so he seen somebody that was getting ready to go in, and he tells him about how he wanted to get to hear D.L. Moody, and, and the stranger, after he talks to him, he says, well, grab a hold of my coattail and don't let go. He said, okay. And so he does exactly that. This young man grabs a hold of the coattail, and, and in they go. And to the young man's surprise, they go all the way down to the very front, to where the stage is, and the stranger gives him a seat right on the front row. And a few minutes later, he realizes the man that just helped him inside was D.L. Moody himself. (laughs) And the amazing thing was, that young man, his name was Paul Rader, and 23 years later, he ended up being the pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago. Now, why do I say that tonight? Well, if we'll grab a hold of the hymn, of Jesus' garment. Jesus knows the way in. 
If we'll grab a hold of the hem of his garment and trust him and hang on tight and don't let go, Jesus knows the way in. He knows the way in right down to the very throne room of God. If you don't know what to do and you feel like you're on the outside tonight and you're not sure how you're going to get in, I want you to remember tonight that the believer has benefits and it's time for you to grab a hold of the hem of Jesus' garment and let him walk you right on down to the front right on down to the foot of the throne of God where you can find help where you can find grace where you can find the blessings and the joy of God I'm telling you hang on and hang on tight and while you're on your way make sure to remember you enjoy the believers benefits hallelujah hallelujah amen we're going to give an invitation tonight and give a song And I trust in some way, somehow, the Lord has talked to you tonight. And any time the Lord talks to you, it's time to take action on what he said to you. Maybe you've been down in the dumps. Maybe this is a take hold of the garment kind of night. You don't have to wait around on the outside because we got someone that has the inside track. You don't have to wait around in depression and discouragement and fear and worry. You don't have to live in that place. You can enjoy the benefit and the blessings of God. Tonight, the believer has all these things now. All these things we talked about now. So if God's speaking to your heart, right where you are, you can pray. He hears you there. God has good hearing. He hears you at home watching at another time, listening, wherever you may be, God can hear you. When he speaks, it's time to respond, just like Dad talked about this morning when the shepherd's calling. Will you respond? When God's speaking to you, it's time to have that conversation. Maybe there needs to be a renewed commitment in your life. Lord, I've gotten away. I have not been serving you like I should. Tonight I want to get back to that place. Maybe it's just, Lord, I need, I need you in general. I'm in one of those times where it's patience, endurance, and experience, and I need you to hold me up. But he'll do that. God is sufficient for every one of our needs. Stand with me tonight, and we're, we'll give a, a, a few verses of this song. I invite you all to sing it with us tonight, and uh, just let the Lord speak to you.